Welcome to the Autism and Neurodiversity Podcast. We're here to bring you helpful information from leading experts and give you effective tools and support. I'm Jason Grigla, a licensed counselor and founder of Techie for Life, a specialized mentoring program for neurodiverse young adults. And I'm Debbie Grigla, a certified life coach. And maybe most importantly, we're also parents to our own atypical young adults. Friends, hello, welcome. So we have Travis Slagle with us today, and he is the clinical director at Evoke Therapy Intensives. He's a licensed professional counselor, and his background includes working as a psychotherapist, a program administrator in a variety of settings, including wilderness, residential, outpatient, and young adult transitional living. And he has almost 20 years of experience working with adolescents, young adults, and families in treatment. And we, we brought Travis on because he does a lot of work now with parents working through their issues that, that have kids that struggle. And so we're just really glad to have you on and, have, and share your experience and insights. And just welcome to the show, Travis. Oh, thanks so much. Glad to be here. So, Travis, you've been a counselor for a long time. How did you get moved into or, or how did you end up in the intensives and working with parents? How did that come about? Yeah, I um. You know, way back when I started, one of my first jobs out of college was working as a field instructor for a wilderness therapy program. And in that process, I uh, discovered a passion for working with um, families and working with young people who are struggling. And, um, you know, the power of connection and being able to hear somebody's story is something that just brought to life um, like a deep sense of purpose for me. And so from that place, I um, worked in a couple of different other wilderness therapy programs and decided I wanted to pursue it and get my master's and um, studied um, neurobiology and and counseling and and family therapy and um, just came back to the work with a a strong sense of purpose around helping families heal. And so my work has been working with young people and working with parents um, who are in crisis. And it's something that is a deep passion of mine. So yeah, it's it's an it's a it's a tough job, but it's also something that's very meaningful. Yeah, I think I think my my career kind of paralleled that as well with juvenile probation and um, working with teens and young adults. I always I always found it funny that parents would want to send their kid for counseling, but didn't necessarily want to do their own work or didn't know that they actually would probably have way more impact in the equation of their relationship with their teen or young adult. And that if they would just come in and do counseling with me, they would probably have better return on their investment than sending their teen or young adult into counseling because they had so much influence in the equation. So that's something we're excited to talk to you a little bit about today is what parents can control and how much of the equation they really are. A lot of times these kids, they don't want any help. They're angry or they're lost or they're stuck or they're in crises and and they want to they want to send the kid to counseling when he's he or she's not at any place to make personal change or have insight. Um, so I, I would always work with the parents and say, I need to meet with you just as much or more than the teen. Is that kind of what you found or how how have you experienced that? Oh absolutely. Yeah. I, I find that our kids are the greatest teachers and in a lot of ways, you know, um it's the, it's the crisis or the event, the problem that is kind of bring somebody to a counseling office isn't typically the actual end goal that becomes the problem or the deeper insight that comes out of the therapy, therapeutic process. So sometimes, you know, there's this um, um, saying that the false self brings the authentic self into therapy. 
So, you know, it's oftentimes, you know, that initial problem that gets kind of is the main focus becomes kind of the doorway to learning um, and discovering new insight about ourselves and, and being able to have healthy relationships with others. So, yeah, I, I, I do find oftentimes it's, you know, the identified patient becomes the obstacle in treatment. So it's, you know, being able to help um, understand the family system is the catalyst for change and, and healing much more than just, you know, the child being on their better behavior. And, um, and oftentimes it's the anxiety and the fear of kind of that lack of control that needs to be talked about and worked with before we even trying to get into, you know, discipline and boundaries and, and, um, you know, trying compliance, you know, the focus on compliance, I find sometimes, you know, gets in the way of helping each person have a deeper connection with themselves. And, and that connection becomes, I think the the safety that's necessary to to build healthier and repair connections with others. I think that's really um, important, and I don't think a lot of parents maybe even realize some of the things that you're pointing out. And yeah. with our our neurodiverse kids, like parenting is a hard gig in itself, right? Being a human on this planet's challenging, right? That's then you throw good. in being a parent, and then with like our our audience with, you know, when you've got a kid that's got neurodiversity and those challenges come out and it's a little bit more stressful, there's a lot more kind of pressure and things happening. Um, and with, that, a, with a healthy child who's normal, typical, and you're mediocre parents, most children are going to turn out great. <laughs> but our, our, our focus audience, are yeah. those who parent or mentor or work with neurodiverse students, it brings out the worst in us because there's so many things to balance and so many yeah. things that can push our buttons. Stressors and so expectations fear. and you're trying to have compliance, but this kid isn't complying the way, yeah. <laughs> right? Other kids typically might. And so I, I, I've noticed it in my own personal experience, like you have, there, your own stuff comes up in that kind of a pressure cooker situation. And it's easy to maybe blame it on, on our kids, yeah. but we have our own piece in this, right? Absolutely. Well, what a great opportunity to be refined because of our yeah. child. If because we love them and we want what's best for them, we end up doing our own work. So, yeah. um, what what are some of the most common issues or or triggers that you see coming out with parents because their child situation is hard? And and I don't like identifying who's the problem because we're all just on a journey, right? Yeah, we're all part um, of it, yeah. and we're all part of the equation. But yeah. what are some of the most common things that get in the way for parents? as they're, you know, in their parenting. Yeah. You know, I, I think, you know, the, you know, what you were mentioning earlier, Debbie, is that, you know, the stress load and it's just, you know, emotional, physical, mental exhaustion, you know, just, you know, not having the resources to be at your best and, and having that diminished capacity to kind of show up with those positive intentions and with the love and with the compassion that we intellectually want and we believe in. But when we are compromised in our stress levels and our nervous systems are on edge, you know, it is an, a natural human reaction to get angry, to get frustrated, to shut down, to, you know, that fight, flight, freeze response. It's so deeply ingrained in our nervous system. So a lot of the thing, that work I'm doing with parents, you know, it's on anger, it's on stress management, it's on uh, the feelings of powerlessness, loneliness, um, you know, even shame, guilt. Um, grief, jealousy, you know, I was working with a family, um, a parent last week, and she was just, you know, it's such a powerful moment where she's like, I don't want to feel jealous. I don't, I don't want to think and compare myself to others, but I, I feel jealous of my sister. I, I look at my neighbors and I say, 
why can't it be easier for me? And, and, and she, and she's holding this in this place of shame. Like it's a, a secret that, you know, she has to hide from the world and to have a safe place where you can be yourself and you can be in those crazy moments and, and not have to get it right. Not to be the perfect parent, not to know the answer, but to really just be seen for who you are. I think that that's such a need for so many people and, and, and parents oftentimes get labeled, you know, the problem or they have the shame or the stigma around, you know, you're doing something wrong or this behavior is because of you. And so as a therapist, my number one job is to create safety, you know, to create a place where it's okay to be you and it's okay to make mistakes and not to know the answer and, and to, and to really have a relationship where you can be curious about our response to the moments when we feel powerless or we feel like we don't know what to do and we're looking for answers and we're, and we're sometimes projecting and externalizing our own stress onto others, you know, pointing at our spouse or pointing at our child and saying, you know, make them change where it's a lot of that work is coming to that deeper understanding of, you know, the repair in our relationship with ourselves becoming the first step to being able to have more capacity and more patience to be with others who are struggling in their own ways in ways that we will never really fully know because we're not them. The only struggle we can understand is ourselves. And that gives us a lot of compassion and empathy and, and ability to be curious. But ultimately, you know, when I work with somebody who's neurodiverse, you know, the first thing is, is like, I want them to share their experience with me. Tell me what it's like to be you. I'm not here to, to be an expert or have an opinion or, or think that I know what it's like to be you know, on the spectrum or to have, you know, kind of neurodivergence, I really rely on my clients to help, you know, teach me. And that place of really kind of not coming in there, telling them who they are, creates this very different power differential. It's a, it's a place of compassion and learning versus this hierarchical, I'm the therapist, I'm here to tell you how to be and, and what you're doing wrong. And I think right. that's a lot of the stigma around mental health today is that, you know, you're going into a room with somebody who's there to kind of, you know, pick you apart, sh show all your mistakes, and then tell you to, to change it. And, and so why would anybody want to go work with that? <laughs> well, and yeah. I think there's some shame around getting yeah. help and, and, you know, needing help. needing help and wanting to, you know, and yet, and I think, I think that's just a misunderstanding is when you realize, when you realize what it actually is to go yeah. and get help, it's, and say, I so, want to be better. I want to be healthier. How do I get there? It's this That's huge quality of life improvement when you get like mm -hmm. that kind of support. And because a lot of us are parenting yeah. on empty, like it's, it yeah. can be such a. And the way you describe your approach to therapy, I, that's just good counseling. I don't care whether it's neurodiverse clients or right. not, but it's even more important to have really good skills and everything sharpened. And that's true with parenting as well. Good parenting is required with neurodiverse absolutely people because yeah. it just requires you to be on your best game you can't afford to coast too much there's yeah. too many ways things can go wrong yeah it's true so so i want to ask how do you know because when you're parenting it's hard to know is this my kids issue might you like you know you were talking about like we're not necessarily like wanting to point fingers we're, we're both in the equation yeah how do you know if it's your own personal issues that are causing problems in that your parent-child relationship like, yeah what are some, some of the signs, signs or, or things to how do you at? know if the parent is too much of the problem versus mm -hmm. i'm doing i'm really doing a great job my child's just hard yeah well you know i think there's a lot of different kind of ways of looking at that i think one is um you know how physiologically how are you how do you feel in your body i i think that you know if we're at ease 
if we're you know at a place of being you know okay making mistakes if we're okay being able to not have the answer you know a lot of kind of i'd, I'd say the one kind of signal of, of mental illness and dysfunction in our lives is rigidity you know to be able to have some what we call an attachment therapy response flexibility the ability to see a distress like distress in our child to be able to recognize you know an event that's happening in, around us or within us and to be able to have some capacity not have an immediate automatic response to try to control to manipulate to you know make the problem kind of this external event that has to be molded to kind of fit our own discomfort and, and so if we can be able to tolerate that discomfort if we can be in the unknown and we can have you know a, a huge meltdown or tantrum that's happening in front of us and we have the ability to kind of notice our breath staying calm noticing our tone of voice being in a place of receptivity you know positive parenting and reinforcement the yelling the punishment the timeouts all of those things are symptoms of us kind of feeling of our anxiety it's our rush to try to control it and shut it down because you know we think it's to help the child but really what we're trying to do is help ourselves we're just saying get away i i can't take it and so we kind of we we veil that in some kind of you know outdated parenting technique and and then and then we we find ourselves in a deeper hole and so i, I think that those are oftentimes you know symptoms and signs that we are our anxiety and i think that just as a counselor i think that the one thing i work with most is anxiety and and how do we experience it how does it you know show up on our relationships especially with somebody who's neurodiverse and has so many kind of sensory kind of processing issues and ways that they're experiencing the world that is really outside in sometimes of our full understanding we're not even fully aware of what that experience is like for them and so oftentimes our expectations and our way of kind of seeing the world gets projected onto others which is really kind of unfortunate because that's most often not the way they're experiencing their world and those expectations sometimes may not be realistic um, and they're most often coming from our fear our anxiety you know our you know early childhood experiences how we were raised what we kind of how we define parenting all of this kind of deeper value systems and emotional responses that are you know really created from our childhood um and so then when we have a child that's outside of what we kind of grew up as the norm it's it's confusing sometimes it's scary sometimes you know it really puts us in a position of feeling um dysregulated literally like where we're just not able to stay grounded and so i think all those are kind of examples of where we can get lost in in our own emotional distress. So Travis, what what are some of the old school parenting approaches, techniques, thoughts that really aren't working anymore? What are some things that come yeah. to mind with that? I think of punishments, you know, like the old kind of idea of punishment, you know, um, you know that it, and I and I think about, you know, when I was, you know, kind of growing up and when my parents would raise their voice and, you know, and um, you know, when they would say that, you know, you're you really let us down or, you know, um, you know, I'm so disappointed in you, you know, like that's but shaming. Yeah. Shaming, you know, kind of creating that, you know, you know, don't tell your father, you know, like that's, you know, the anger and the shame and the fear, you know, I using think, the relationship to maybe I'm going to withhold my love yeah. until you measure right. up to what yeah. I think is important. Yeah. That love yeah, is that's real motivating, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. I mean, it's scared me into compliance, but it created all sorts of other issues that went along with that. And so I think that, you know, that's, I, and I talked to a lot of people that from a younger generation and, 
you know, fear and guilt were primary parenting techniques that were not, you know, intentionally employed, but they were, they were happening a lot. And right. so you know, that's the, the question, what do you want to avoid, which is bad parenting versus what do you want in life? How yeah. do you be, which is well, so much posi- more proactive and positive. Positive. It's all, it's positive parenting techniques. You know, it's, it's encouragement, you know, when, you know, what oftentimes when, you know, something's happening with a child and, and we're asking ourselves, well, what do I need to do? And how do I get them to stop? You know, the, the reflection is how, how can we create that interaction in a place where we're encouraging them towards that behavior versus reacting to something we're trying to stop? You know, so pointing out positive validation, positive reinforcement, you know, uh, uh, there's a lot of young people that I work with that, you know, are moving into that young adult phase of life. And they recognize that, you know, this kind of sense of shame that, oh, I've been a burden for my parents. I was such a, a really tough kid. And so they're, they're having this kind of, you know, deeper cognitive awareness of themselves and their relationships and seeing that, you know, like they, they were a really tough kid. And, and they're having this idea that, you know, something's wrong with me because I really was um, frustrating or I was difficult or that I ruined the ski trip or I was, I didn't want to get on the airplane to that vacation. And so I really let my parents down and those types of kind of internalization of a sense of self starts to kind of emerge in young adulthood. And, and, and I work with lots of young people who are looking, who are really, I mean, are talking about the relationships with their, with their parents in ways that, you know, it's not the typical kind of response you'd hear from, you know, a, a middle child or an adolescent, but they're talking about, you know, what they wished, you know, somebody would have told them or how they wish, you know, that that family vacation would have gone and the acknowledgement that they created a lot of stress for people in their lives. And they carry that as like something must have been wrong with me and I wish I would have been different. So I think having that awareness, like that's that's some of the um, the parenting kind of, you know, uh, trajectory is how do we create a safe relationship with our kids? So. So playing the long game. Yeah, the long the change game. of immediate behavior. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, you you know, you got me in the car, you got me to go into school, but you know, I went kicking and screaming and I felt like, you know, I was a huge burden for you. It's not really a success. I mean, you could say I got them in school, but then their self-concept is that I'm just a big pain in the butt. And I've heard parents say, Well, I'm I'm willing to take the hit on our relationship because I'm it's my job to give them what they need. Um, and if they hate me, fine. And that's kind of true, but it's a twisted mm-hmm. l- lack of effectivity. It's not yeah. effective to not yeah. keep the relationship of influence. And if they hate you and all you've done is change their behavior, how long is that right. sustainable? Yeah. Right? Long-term consequences of that can be really steep, you know. And I, I think what we what we strive for in an empathic, in a in a in a, in a tuned relationship is you know, equal kind of parts, boundaries, equal parts empathy. You know, and so oftentimes when I'm working with parents, you know, there's kind of the um, the teeter totter of like either it's too much empathy or it's you know too much boundaries. And so, am I being too rigid? Am I being too nice? Am I being too soft? Am I being too hard? And we're really really trying to kind of build an integrated, attuned relationship where we can be in moments of discomfort and we can be kind of connected to ourselves so that. Our nervous systems are, you know, kind of, you know, like a train that's, you know, getting off the track. And, um, and oftentimes that becomes kind of the train wreck in our relationships where it just runs people over literally and figuratively with our stress and our fear. Well, and I want to kind of go back to, cause that, that kind of makes me think about how, if we've got our own issues coming up, it's really hard to be attuned. Yeah. 
it's hard to actually be present and see, and especially like when you're in stressful parenting situations and, and maybe long-term, you know, you've been dealing with stuff, you have a kid that doesn't give a lot back or um, they're just the comparison, like not keeping up with, you know, the neighbor's kids and all that kind of stuff. When we've got the, those pressures happening and our issues come up, yeah. our own personal stuff, it's hard to be present. It's hard to see. It's hard to be calm and relaxed and not in that like stress all the time. So I think that is the first thing we can control as parents is how am I, how am I showing up in this interaction? Yeah. Um, Yeah, Not what am I doing? What am I saying? But how am I? Because then the words and the actions come out authentic and real. And even if you do the wrong action, if you're coming out authentic and real, you're doing it right. Yeah. And the action might be totally wrong. Yeah. That's totally true. It actually gives you credit either way. Yeah. If yeah. you are doing it authentic and that's the big thing about this generation, right? The kids we're raising now, they want authenticity more than anything else. Mm-hmm. They yep. value that highly and they can smell manipulation, hypocrisy a mile away. Yeah. 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 And they don't, I don't think they want us to treat them like they're equals. They want to be respected as an equal human being, but they know we have different roles. They know. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, so, you know, and I, I, yeah, I appreciate that. And I think, you know, that, the piece that I often find is, you know, that the idea of boundaries being kind of like my boundaries are for you, you know, these are your boundaries, but it really kind of boundaries are, are for ourselves. You know, we're, we're here to take care of ourselves, you know, even to have a self, you know, I was working in a, in a parent intensive, you know, recently, you know, one of the moms said, well, what if I don't have a self? You know, it, it's just the, the whole kind of role of parenting had kind of just consumed her to a point to where she had lost touch with what it means to be her. What is really, what's her own internal experiences? What are her needs? What are her wants? What are her hopes and fears? It just became all about, you know, just that immediate Combs triage of a child in crisis that just, you know, carries on through, you know, decades of time until we're at this kind of place in our middle age, asking ourselves, who am I? And, you know, how do, you know, and that's, and I think a lot of ways like doing that, you know, and Debbie, you were just kind of mentioning that, that, you know, it's to be able to have some space to kind of connect to who, who you are and the way of being with the problem versus what do you do with the problem is such a powerful shift. In, and it's really a powerful shift in thinking. I think the first step in a lot of ways for parents is to start thinking differently about the problem, start thinking differently and asking some deeper questions with curiosity about, you know, what might be a different way of being with this problem. And sometimes these are unsolvable problems. How, how do I, how can I be different? How can I show up, you know, and more authentically with an unsolvable problem? And, and the anxiety in, in the nervous system without asking those questions, it just goes on autopilot. And a lot of times when we're in such a crisis mode for so long, we don't even realize we're anxious. You know, it becomes normal. Yeah. Well, and, and I see it a lot with parents of neurodiverse, their whole, especially moms. I don't know if dads do this as much, but I know I see a lot of moms where their whole identity is completely wrapped up in being that child's parent. Yeah. And, and for, for valid reasons, a lot of yeah. like, they fall into that. They're often judged as helicopter parents when <laughs> right? if they weren't, these kids would have yeah. fallen off the end of their a long time yeah. ago. But yeah. it's so, but you just see and you think, gosh, th- to sustain it long-term, you can't keep that up. You've got to have some self there too. Yeah. <laughs> in fact, yeah. you're going to have a lot more fuel if you're taking care of, right. taking care of you and aware of you. And if you are walking around with like anxiety and tension in every interaction and and your, that's your initial response like wow let's take a look at that and so that's if there were signs then to, to kind of summarize what you said if they're in crises if they're trying to control the situation if they're being rigid 
if they're not okay, um, if they're willing to ruin the relationship in the situation for whatever reason, because they just can't even function or because they've rationalized, it's my job um, to be tough. If they're saying no all the time, just as a, as a common response, instead of looking for ways to say yes, those are all signs that the parent is not in a healthy part of the equation. Right, right. Yeah. And the other part is just the body that they notice that their, their tone of voice, that they're, they're just feeling the tension in the body. Is it, you know, the body, you know, there's the, that really bestseller book, the body keeps the score. And a lot of that was about trauma, but I think, you know, in a lot of ways, the nervous system is experiencing trauma. You know, that sent that hyper vigilant state of, you know, being kind of on constant edge, that is a trauma response in our nervous systems. And over time, that can be complex trauma with so many defenses that are kind of part of that. And so staying connected to the body, I think, is another really important kind of, you know, signal to us that we, we got to slow down, take a breath, you know, mm -hmm. go on a walk, take a bath, you know, have a nice meal. Avoid take burnout, a take breaks. Yeah. Yeah, take a break. So what does it look like on the, the opposite, the converse? What does a parent look like when they're doing it right? Effective. Yeah, and right, right right just means effective, not the right way, but whatever's sustainable effective. Sustainable. Sustainable and, like and effective healthy. is what we're looking for. What does that kind of yeah. look like? Oh yeah, that's a great one. I, I think a lot of what I see is like a is a journey of a parent becoming more aware of who they are and how and why they respond the way they respond. It's not necessarily about getting it right. As again, like what we were saying earlier, you know, you get to make mistakes. You get to kind of figure things out as you go. Like life is going to present all sorts of kind of unfamiliar experiences that we're going to have to adapt to. And so, but having self-awareness, having, you know, um, you know, and Freud called it the freedom from unconscious obligations that we're not just kind of, you know, trapped by this, you know, nonstop, incessant kind of anxiety. Yeah. That we're just slow. We're, we're more calm and patient with the unknown. I think that that's a beautiful signal that, you know, we can see the stress and, and the struggle and the people we love, and we can respond in a place that's curious. That's, that's, you know, open in, you know, and when we're afraid, we can, we can notice the fear, you know, we catch the fear. We, we, we are able to say, this is really scaring for me. This is a lot to take. You know, I, I want to stay with this conversation, but I might need to step out in order to kind of catch my breath and I'm going to come back and I really want to hear what you have to say. Those are moments when you're seeing a self-aware, self kind of conscious human being who is able to be safe in relationships. That right there is the goal. That's the, that's the goal in our lives, but it takes so much time and a lot of processing around all of the kind of, you know, junk in our lives that got us to where we are. Um, you know, the, the traumas, the stress, the abandonment, the betrayals, you know, the disappointments, the getting it wrong, the need to be right. All of that is, is old history that, you know, needs some, some resolution and some self-compassion. And then we can step into our future with more courage, more capacity, more willingness to be with those unsolvable problems without kind of jumping into the problem solver role. And I think, especially with neurodiverse parents of neurodiverse kids, there is so many unknowns. Yeah. They're so afraid. They don't know uh, their kid gets a diagnosis when they're young, or if it's a teenager and they're starting to fall apart in, in high school and they're, there's so many unknowns and they start worrying. And, and I love that you said that, that, that ability to be able to be okay with the unknowns yeah. and, and to be able to know it's a process. And we're going to work through that. I think that kind of gets to the heart of a, a lot of the challenges that come. Right. The parents that I look up to and envy or, or at, what's the word, adulate? That's not the right word. 
Adulation. And the the and parents then, I admire and emulate are the ones who seem to be enjoying the journey, mm-hmm. all of it, yeah. not not just the fun parts, but the challenge, the willingness to grow, like you said, instead of are we there yet or goal focus, it's experiential focused. Am I am I enjoying the moment? Am I present? Yeah. Am I connecting even if it's really hard? Sometimes those painful experiences really open up opportunities for attachment and closeness that you don't get when you're having so much fun with all the loudness and the pleasure and the feel good that sometimes those are really shallow experiences. So a good parent to me always takes opportunity and that attachment piece is really important. They're always looking for ways to connect to build that relationship of influence. Bingo. Yeah. I think the influence, you know, it's influence versus control, the ability to kind of influence through our relationships, through our kind of way of being in this world, you know, versus having to control others, having to kind of force an agenda, um, you know, allowing another human being to have their own kind of process of individuation, their own process of, you know, how, you know, they, they, they launch into the world. And, and I, and I just find, you know, a lot of the clients I work with, with neurodiverse kids, some of the most courageous, some of the most, you know, kind of, you know, talk about being kind of, you know, in a lot of ways, a, a, a heroic journey to be able to kind of have that experience is such a, such a kind of admirable and, and humbling um, journey. And I, and I just find that, you know, a lot of times when, you know, a, a young person is kind of growing up in this world, experiencing a sensory overload, experiencing so much, you know, anxiety and, and a lack of feeling, they're just, what I hear a lot is like, I don't feel understood. And when a, when a mom or a father can be able to kind of rather than, oh, I understand you. No, I get it. I, I know what you're going through. But rather than just saying, thanks for telling me that. It makes a lot of sense. You know, you know there's a lot of times when I probably don't understand you. You know, and, and I'm, I'm glad you're ta- telling me that. You know, I'm not here to change your mind. You know, it, it's, it's a different way of being with that versus, no, I get you. I understand, you know, having to kind of get in an argument over like who understands who. And it's just like, tell me more about what that feels like. Yeah. That curiosity, just yeah. like, let me get to know yeah. you. <laughs> tell me more, tell like, like, yeah. Yeah. And it's different yeah. at different stages with kids, right? Yep. Like we think it's we, very true. yeah. What they Absolutely. would normally respond or think it changes as they develop yeah. and grow. Yeah. You know, yeah. I was thinking about the story. I, I, my, my son woke up from a nightmare um, a while back and I, you know, I woke up from a dead sleep and I run into the room and I'm trying to figure out what's going on. And every time I'm trying to figure it out, I'm like, are you hungry? You need to go to the bathroom? Like, did you have a nightmare? Every time I ask him a question, he just gets more and more escalated. And at some point, you know, I, and I'm like, you know, again, talk about being not being at your best. I've just kind of got out of sleep. I just want to go back to bed. You know, I, I don't know if he's playing a game. Like, it was just like this moment. And I, and I, I asked him, I was like, are you, are you feeling scared? And I went through this list and he's like, you know, kicking the sheets off. And I was like, are you afraid? And, and he, and then he just like nodded his head. He's like, yeah, I'm scared. And I said, and I said, it's okay to be scared. And it was just this moment of like, he just rolled over in bed and went back to sleep. It it was like, I just put this soft blanket on him and said, it's okay to be scared. It was, it was all that I needed to do in that moment. And I realized that that right there, that was not the response I got from my parents. It was, don't be scared. You know, it rather than it's okay to be scared. Or let's fix why you're scared. We got to fix it. Right, right. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. What's scary? You know, let me take it away from you versus it's okay to feel scared. Right. That or, was, oh, no, you're scared, right? Yeah. Like that kind of panic. Mm-hmm. 
right the panic oh, what, what happened is there a spider is you know there's no there's no monsters under the bed all of that kind of that, that idea that we're helping when really that's not helpful it's yeah. actually the i love the i love the basic question of instead of what do i do it's yeah. how can i be how can i be how can i be right now in this situation how do i show up yeah it is so much more effective than what do i do what do i do what do i do exactly and then yep. we're actually modeling emotional regulation and 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 for our kids, our neurodiverse kids that have sensory issues or they have like all these things going on for them and to be able to model like calm and like, it's okay yeah. to be scared or afraid or to feel anxiety or to, yeah. yeah. I think one of the areas for our parents, especially that's critical is that grieving part you touched on really early that hasn't happened with expectations because neurodiversity is so unique for every child and their strengths and, and weaknesses are so unique and they're so high and so low and so different than our typical that really understanding your child and getting to know them um, is so important to being able to appreciate and accept them yeah. for who they are. And that doesn't mean we just accept them and give up. It just means as a parent, my job is to maximize success and minimize their weaknesses, which is the same as any other parent parenting yeah. situation. But especially for our parents, their timelines are different. Their expectations can be different. Their strengths and weaknesses don't fit in the box. Um, honest yeah. assessment is really important. I see that the healthy, good parents doing that well, where they're like, well, I can push him, but if I push him that far, they crack, they break. Um, yeah. But if I don't push them at all, I'm not really being a good parent. Yeah. 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 You know, that, that grief is such a powerful I mean, it's such a powerful part of it. And I, I actually find, you know, for all of us, you know, I think just as the, the human experience, and I was actually, I think somebody said, mentioned this to me, you know, you can kind of determine the health of a culture by how well they grieve, mm. you know, about the, like a culture or community, how, what, what, what do they impart? What do they teach? What is their kind of grieving process? How is it kind of integrated into their, into their kind of daily lives? You know, that, you know, I, I, in a lot of ways, just from an anthropological perspective, I think can kind of bring a lot of different kind of awareness to how difficult it is for us today when we're all so, um, you know, um, isolated. You know, we, we, we have our social media, we have our internet, we, we have all those pieces, but to have a real solid community where, you know, you can go through a grieving process, you can feel a loss, and you can have people that aren't trying to change it or, you know, kind of make it feel better, but to really feel it with you, you know? And so a lot of the parents that we work with, they just, they feel like they have to do it alone, you know? And, and, and that grieving process, you know, denial, you know, it's like, well, I don't want my child to feel like a burden. So I'm going to, I'm going to learn every possible thing I can about autism. I'm going to just, you know, read every research paper on this planet, you know, so that I can understand, I, then I can accept, you know, and, and then I can kind of help and I can have a purpose. You know, in a lot of ways, it's circumventing that initial just gut wrenching moment. They're still trying to fix it. Yeah. Instead of sitting with it. it. Right. Yep. So tell us a little bit about, would love to hear what you're really passionate about. What makes things feel really good to you? What yeah. do you love doing? Well, I mean, I love being, I love being a dad and I love being a husband. I also really love playing music. Um, it's something that I'm constantly trying to do for myself. Um, you know, in you the play. I play, I play guitar mostly, but I've actually been trying to learn piano. So it's my new kind of thing that I'm, I'm picking at. Um, so it's a, it's an amazing process to kind of learn a new instrument. And, um, you know, and I think the things I'm passionate about in my work 
is, you know, running these family intensives, like being with parents for a prolonged period of time. I and mean, these are multi-day, fully immersive experiences, you know, 19 hours potentially of therapy in two and a half days. It's, it's such an immersive experience. I get to connect with people in some of the most intimate and, and just raw moments of their lives. And it's just, just an honor. And so I think a lot of that work for me, it allows, it, it's a call to action for me to be a more healthier, more connected, more self-aware human being in this world. And, and I take that as inspiration from my clients. They're always teaching me as much as I'm helping them. I think they're helping me. It's a reminder of like what really matters in this world. So I'm passionate about that work. I'm passionate. And that, I think that then feeds into everything else in my life, you know, the, the picking up the piano, the work with my kids, you know, going out and having family adventures, being an imperfect human being in this world who's a work in progress, um, learning from my own childhood experiences. All of that is something I think I'm really inspired by the people I work with. Uh, follow up to that. Did I lose you? Yeah. So you're talking about your intensives, and I, I'd like you to tell a little bit more. So for any listeners that would like to get more help and actually do recognize that they want to do some self-work and that maybe their own stuff is getting in the way, getting in the way and really like making parenting hard. Right. Tell us a little bit more about what you do with intensives and if people want to get help to go deeper on. And why an intensive instead of just going to see a counselor, what what are some of the benefits of, of an intensive two or three day workshop? Absolutely. Well, our intensives are all, yeah, I love that question. All of our intensives are led by, by therapists, you know, master's level and PhD level therapists. So this is a fully immersive, you know, imagine kind of a therapeutic accelerator, you know, rather than that 15 minute session that you're doing once a week, if you could be able to condense that into, you know, an experiential kind of moment in your life that you can really kind of look back on it in a lot of ways as a rites of passage. You know, people are coming out of that experience with, with the time and space because we all have defenses. We all have ways that we can kind of work through a 50 minute session with a therapist, but to have, a, you know, eight plus hours and, you know, with multiple days back to back, there is so much deeper, richer, more kind of self-compassion. Um, you can just access things in a much more fluid, dynamic way than, than something that I experience in a 50 minute session. So we, we'd run intensives for, for parents. We run intensives for families and for individuals. Um, an intensive could be anywhere from two and a half days to four and a half days. It could be something that's done, you know, with just your family or with your kind of spouse, or it could be something in a very small group, like a size of six. And those are typically for parents with kids with, um, with children in treatment. And a lot of the work is starting with our early childhood experience. So we're, we're talking about, you know, how we were raised, what were the early experiences and relationships that kind of shape who we are in this world? And, and how does that start to kind of show up in our current day relationships? So we kind of draw in, in you know, insight from the past to be able to connect the dots with where we're getting stuck in our present life. And, and from that place, I, I find that the, the outcome most often is just a deeper capacity for self-love, you know, more compassion for others, um, clearer boundaries, you know, boundaries being an expression of love versus, you know, a punishment or, you know, a withholding of a relationship. It's actually me taking care of myself is how I, the best way I can take care of you. And, and that understanding, we can get it intellectually, but when you have that level of depth and, and kind of an emotional experience, you understand that you're actually showing up for you because you deserve it. Because it, it's, it's more than just, you know, kind of a, a task or a chore is checking off the box. And, you know, I'm going to read this book because my kid's in treatment. This is actually, I'm going to do in this, this profound kind of healing experience where I get to kind of re-experience who I am in this world. 
repair these parts of myself that are oftentimes go neglected and we can be over-functioning in a lot of ways in our anxiety and we can create empires and businesses and all sorts of things. And still at the core of it is our fear, our insecurity, our shame, our guilt, our, our need for control, feelings of powerlessness, all of those emotional events that kind of help shape who we are. And then for parents to walk out feeling they're more courageous, they're braver, they're more in a place of clarity. And that, you know, when they are with their children and with their spouses, they have a, a just a, a more calmer state of way of being. And, totally changed. and that calmness, I mean, I, it's, it's, it's transformative. You know, I can't do that in a 50 minute session. <laughs> right. I, I imagine yeah. you do, you walk away, you go in as oneself and you come out as a whole yeah. new, like, oh my gosh. Yeah. Transformative, Man, it's natural. Right? Right? It's so cool. Yeah. It's the, you know, to, to that fear and the anxiety of like, what am I getting myself into? You know, what is this going to be like? You know, is this a cult? You know, it's just, you know, all of the kind of stuff that comes up in our minds, you know, that the, the lack of safety, you know, so much of work is about, you know, can we be safe just laying down the defenses and just being who you are? We're not here to kind of tell you how to be. We're here just to let you experience who you are in this world. And from that place, you have all the insight, wisdom, and capacity to heal that's already inside of you. We're just creating the right conditions for you to do it. Yeah. And I would so imagine you can, you if, can get it. Yeah. Oh, I was going to say, if you're, if you're willing to put to to go into something like that and be able to be willing to be vulnerable and and go through something like you know like that an intensive environment, it is so well worth your time and investment. <laughs> you know, and oh and to be able to put everything yeah. else away for a couple of days. Yeah. And, and really put it on the shelf so that you can be completely present on focusing on the self. That's, that's something most people don't do ever. Yeah. So you can choose to do it intentionally and have an experience that most people will never have in their lifetime. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, some people, you know, I have some clients that say, you know, this is like a year's worth of therapy in three days. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a big condensed emotional event that, you know, people are walking away from saying, yeah, that's, and a lot, I mean, there is some more research that's showing that these multi-day kind of, especially for relationships and families and couples, you know, like they're the old kind of like 1990s kind of term for it was marathon therapy, but it's, it's, it's more than just that, that hour long session where you're, you know, you kind of open it up and then you package it back up and then you head out the door. Like, this is something where you have the time and space to be who you are. And, and we're not here to rush you and, and kind of force you to, you know, into some kind of box where we're here to really allow you to be everything that you're bringing in that room makes a ton of sense about why it's showing up and where it came from. We're just here to allow you to experience that and make more informed decisions about whether that's stuff you want to carry outside of the room when you leave. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much for sharing about that. I think. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. So you can reach us at intensives at evoketherapy.com. You can also reach me if you want to email me directly. um, Travis at evoketherapy.com. Um, right. and I would love to be able to speak with you all. And, um, I love your program. I'd love to come visit, you know, I'd, I'd love to come, come by. I want to, I want to see what y'all are doing and we'll um, bring your kids down. We'll take them out on the side by side, take them mountain biking with you or whatever you want to do. It'd be oh, great. Be great. Southern Utah is a great yeah. place to visit. Yeah. I'd love to. I'll include those links in our show notes. And so that, so people great. can find you and if they, if they're, if they're ready to go deep dive and prioritize themselves and, yeah. and really get get some movement happening. Absolutely. Not stuck in the yep. same old, same old miserable. Yep. 
places it, we find ourselves in. That's right. When, like, it, when the kids see it, they they are like, "What did you do? Like, what happened to my mom?" It's like oh. it's like there's a, there's a shift. They they feel it. You know, it's not even like what you say. It's just it's again what we were talking about earlier. How yeah. the way of being. Yeah. And, the, and, the, and the kids are just noticing. Wait a second. My mom is doing intensive therapy. Or my dad is going yeah. to this therapy workshop and. That parallel process is such a powerful kind of tool in a lot of ways. You know, it gives I think, them a lot of hope if they can see yeah. the parent change. It also sends it sets the table, that sets sets the environment for a place of peace. Right. That oh, and then I'm going to be okay when the parents okay, the child's okay. When the parents in crises, the child's in crises. That's that's absolutely true. Yeah, if we don't feel safe with ourselves, it's really going to be hard for others to feel safe with us. Yeah. Thanks so much for sharing your knowledge yeah. and your passion and your perspective and. We really appreciate you coming on. And this is Yeah, it's great to be able to spend some time with you all. And I really look forward to to doing it again soon. Thank you so much. All right. Well, to our listeners, thanks for joining us. And we hope you have an amazing week. Take care. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Autism and Neurodiversity with Jason and Debbie. If you want to learn more about our work, come visit us at jasondebbie.com. That's J-A-S-O-N-D-E-B-B-I-E.com.